For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed for their past sins. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble, and you will receive a a rich welcome in the eternal kingdom of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, This is part two. If you missed last week, I'm going to encourage you podcast it because today won't make a lot of sense without understanding the context because we read the first four verses of chapter one last Sunday. But let me just recap it and we're going to dive into what Peter, one of the closest followers of Jesus, is trying to tell us who might be struggling in living out what we believe. Uh, There's no such thing as an ordinary Christian. It's an oxymoron. When you look at following Jesus, there aren't two classes. There isn't the ordinary, regular follower and then the superstar, the uh, pastor, the apostle, the leader, the CCM worship guy, you know, whatever you want to call it. There aren't two classes of Christians, but rather God has done three things for everyone who follows Jesus. For those of you who missed last week, you're going to get a recap now. Three things. I'm going to throw them on the screen so you can jot them down or maybe remember. Your faith is precious. We saw it in the first few verses. What God has done in you is beautiful. And he gives equal grace, equal forgiveness, first class treatment to everyone who follows Jesus. So God does not distinguish whether you had background or are new to it, whether your parents followed or didn't, when you choose the way of Jesus, you get a precious, precious faith. The second thing is you have God's power. You already have it. The moment you trusted Christ, you were given the spirit of God. The same spirit that filled Jesus now fills you. So there should never be a short chain saying, I don't know if I can actually do what God has asked me to do. That's That's a question that makes no sense when you realize you have God's power available. I'm not saying we always tap in. I'm not saying we always submit. I'm not saying we always understand, but I am saying you already have it. God has promised it to you. And the third thing is you have God's promises. Based on who God is and based on what Jesus has done, he has made declarations, promises to you. And God is faithful. Would you agree? God is absolutely, I am not faithful. God is faithful always. And based on that, all of those things are true of everyone in this room or listening by podcast who has chosen to follow this Jesus. All three are true. Now, how do I know that? A recap on a concept that will help you understand the Bible better. When you look at verbs or action words, there are two at least different types, more than two, but two for for our purposes this morning. There are indicatives and there are imperatives. English majors, rejoice. I'm speaking your lingo. The rest just nod as if you understand what I'm talking about. There are phrases that 
indicate what has already happened. These things have been done to you. So verse 4, just look back if you have your Bible still open. Through these he has given us his very great and precious promise. Given us is an indicative. We did not grab hold of God's promises. We did not earn God's promises. They indicate what already happened. He has chosen to give us promises. So when I'm reading the Bible, I need to figure out, and there are ways to do that, what is true of me. And then in light of that, there are also verbs, action words, that are commands. They are imperatives. And so what we're going to do is, last week, if you missed it, it was all these things that are true about you. And you should feel good about yourself because you're, you're a follower of Jesus. You have a precious faith. You have the power of God. You have the promise of God. You can live a godly life, Peter is saying. It's absolutely true of you. But that is not the only thing that happens to be true. In light of who you are, how do you live? Last week I used a bit of the marriage and relationship scenario. If you're there and you're at an altar and they pronounce you man and wife, husband and wife, that's indicative. It's true. You are married. Now what? There were people in the church, there were teachers who claimed to follow Jesus in Peter's day and in our day who said, great, you have these precious promises, you have God's power. So between now and the time that Jesus comes, have fun. Those things that you felt bad about, like you don't have to feel bad about those things anymore because you actually have been set free. If, If you sin, God forgives. If you mess up, he provides power. So Basically, since Jesus took care of the past, go for it. Find the things that you really desire and lean into them. Find those passions and have them fulfilled. That sounds exciting, doesn't it? It sounds like the greatest life possible until you realize some of your desires are not healthy. Some of your desires are selfish. Some of your desires aren't good. Now, these teachers were saying it doesn't make a difference what you do now. These indicatives are true of you. Therefore, do what you want. And so Peter, close to Jesus, walks with Jesus, has to step in and write a corrective and say, indicatives, these things are true. But based on them, what do you do now? Can you really do what you want as a follower of Jesus? Can you really just choose to follow the passions that are true to you because I want to be true to myself. Isn't that the American dream? Whatever, whatever it is you feel, whatever it is that's within you, you don't want someone to suppress that. Oh my goodness, if I have a desire, it's my right to have it fulfilled. And as a follower of Jesus, Peter would say, that is idiotic. It's absolutely idiotic. As a matter of fact, there are commands that give a balance. These things are true of you, but now how do I live? There are two commands I want us to see. There are only two in verses 5 through 11, and the rest of the verses around it describe these two commands. So let's look at verse 5. It says, For this very reason, make every effort to add, and that's the first one. Add, circle it, underline it. Add to your faith. And then there's a list of eight things. We'll get to those in a minute. But jump down to verse 10. So the first um, command, the first imperative is add. The second one is in verse 10. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort. The word effort, underline effort. That is another command. So let's put them 
together, based on all that is true of you, add effort. Based on the promises of God, add effort. Based on the goodness of God, add effort. That is the balance to those who think, since Jesus has been good to me, I can just like, you know, like love God, of course, but I can really do what I want. And Peter is saying, oh gosh, if you want to grow in your faith, this is not going to happen automatically. So we need to be honest. Since there are things that are true of me and things that are expected of me, I need to remember as a follower of Jesus that spiritual growth is not automatic. It's not like working for the U.S. government. If you work for the U.S. government, your status goes up with what? Time. The longer you've been working, the higher you go. And your benefits are tied to the amount of time you've spent in a seat. And that is not how it works in the Christian life. You can be in the seat for 30 years and be an infant in your faith. You could be in the seat your entire life and never grow up. And Peter would say, these teachers who are saying, do what you want, don't get the heart of the gospel. In light of who you are, live up to who God has already made you to be. So what we want to look at are these two commands and see what growth looks like. Spiritual growth should not be taken lightly. You should, as a follower of Jesus, according to Peter, don't blame me. If I get under your skin this morning, blame Peter. He wrote it. I'm just repeating. But he says, add. So let's look at this first one. Add to your faith. Look at verse five. What are we adding? There are eight things, but let me tell you how Bible lists work. I cut it out last night because I realized this is going to just take too long. But there are all sorts of lists throughout the New Testament. And what you're going to find if you look at all these lists, there's lists in Galatians 5, there's all sorts of lists about things we're supposed to do. A list is not completely exhaustive. So, Peter lists eight things here that are necessary to growth in the faith, but these aren't the only things. So if I want to be a good student of the Bible, a good good follower of Jesus, I look at all of the lists of things throughout the Bible. Like um, in in 1 Corinthians, the uh, fruits of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit, I, I look at all the lists and see which one am I short on. Now we're going to look at this list because it's interesting. The bookends are important. Let's just read verse 5. Make every effort to add, adds the command, to your faith, goodness. So, so you're starting with faith. And then look at the end of it. End of verse 8. The last, uh, uh, end of verse 7. The last thing on his list is love. So, so these aren't steps. These aren't you start with faith and add goodness and you climb up the ladder. No, they're just like a pot where all of these things are important. But I think he bookends it in a way that makes sense. And it's the progression. It starts with faith. It must begin with faith. And then it ends with love. It starts with relationship to God. And it ends with relationship to people. So the way I live my life does matter. The way I live to God matters. And then as I add these things, as I grow, it's going to show up in how I treat you. You and your relationship to me. How we do church. How we do life. How we live out the mission of Jesus to our part of the world. All of that is going to be a reflection of what starts with my faith. So let's just look at the list. There are eight things here. We're going to look 
fairly quickly because they're mostly self-explanatory. So add to your faith. Now, what is faith? Faith could also be translated faithfulness. Faith is not just a passive thing like my, my intellectual belief or my inner feeling. Faith and faithfulness are in Scripture the same exact word. So we ought to be zealous. You need to add to your faith. You need to zealously pursue. You need to make every effort to be faithful. So faithfulness to Jesus is the beginning of this list. So what do we add? We add, second word there is goodness. Goodness is excellence of character. So we add to faithfulness. I want to live in a way that pleases Jesus. I'm going to add goodness. That means that my character is going to be in line with my faith. Now, here's the interesting part. If you jump back to verse 3, look at verse 3. His divine, God's divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. Indicative. God's given me all that I need through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and what? Goodness. Same exact word. So this is how the Bible interplays. God has given me what I need to be godly, and it comes out of the overflow of his character. God's character is goodness. So later on, in light of what's been given to me, that is everything I need for life and godliness, one of the reflections should be the character of God. I should be more godlike. So it starts with faithfulness to Jesus, which reflects in an excellence of character what I say and how I live increasingly doesn't happen in a moment. This is not poof and you're better. I love January because January is where we get into the, to the month of the year where all the promises are made. If you join this gym, you will burn off the Christmas pounds. You know, right? I love January because new year, new promises. But you know, the people who drop the pounds are the people who don't join gyms. They actually show up and do something with the weights, Right? You can join all you want. You can drink every shake you want. If you do not discipline your life in light of what is true, what is true is you're called to be healthy. So I discipline myself to be what I'm already called to be. I'm called to live healthy. Therefore, I make healthy choices. Make sense? So add to my faith, goodness. And to goodness, we see next on the list, knowledge. Now, this isn't just getting smarter. It's relational knowledge. I need to grow in what I know. I want to be faithful to Jesus. I want to begin to emulate and live out his character. And that happens through knowledge. So you start off following Jesus and you don't know much. Go back to the relationship explanation. Like you, you, you choose to get married. And even though Carmen and I dated for five years before getting married, you think you know someone until you live with them. Right? You think you really know someone until you're around them all the time. And so marriage is not the end of knowledge for a couple. It is just the beginning of a discovery. And so in the same way, we're to add to our faithfulness, the moral character of goodness, which includes discovering who Jesus is. So this is just a sidebar. How do we do that? Like in the here and now. I mean, Peter walked with Jesus three years. He had like a leg up on us. He walked with him, talked with him. He had Q&A with God. That's like a strategic advantage. I don't know if you realize that. Where God actually speaks back to him. 
But what Peter reminded us early on is God has given you, the people who have never seen Jesus, everything you need. That is, you and I have the Spirit of God to lead us and teach us. So Jesus and I, we don't walk, quote unquote, side by side. But I have every access to his thoughts and his heart because I've been given the same spirit that lived within him. So I have no excuse to say, well, Peter and John and James, they knew Jesus. I don't know him like that. I'm not to use that excuse because I can. How can I? God has given us, number one, he's given us the scriptures. You have in front of you everything you need for life and godliness. And so the Bible is not the only source for you but it sure is like a huge one. And it ought to be a major part of my diet as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus. If you do not train yourself, even if it's super slow and, 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 and super base level, if you don't train yourself to read the Bible regularly, you are going to be anemic and sick spiritually. Can I just put it that bluntly? you're not going to grow apart from immersing because add to your faith or faithfulness, goodness, moral character. Where do you get moral character? How do you understand God's character? You get your thoughts in line with God's heart and God's thoughts. So I need to allow myself and train myself. It's a command. Add to your faith, goodness, and add to the goodness, knowledge. So let me just ask you, are you pursuing Knowledge, knowledge of God, knowledge of who he is and what he's done. Are are you looking for truth? If you're not, here's the encouragement. Begin. Just get get in. Train yourself to do it. So so the second thing, not just only have we been given these scriptures, we've been given each other. Peter's not writing to one individual. He's writing to the church. And in every church, there are people who are behind you, so to speak, not like further from God and less loved by Jesus, but less experience. And there are people ahead of you. So in Sunset, in this church, if you're new, I could just tell you there are people who are more mature in their walk with Jesus than you are. I know, that just crushed your ego. I hurt you. Oh, too bad. Deal with it. Eat pork at the end and complain. Um, like there are people more mature than you. And there are people who need to grow in maturity. So here you are. And so it's a give and take. If you're a part of this community, how do you grow in faith and goodness and knowledge? It's relational. It's a relational term. The word knowledge is not just brain power. It's connectivity. And so you have the responsibility and the privilege to get to know the people around you. Why? The people around you are going to grow you. God's tool is to use people to build these things as you see them live out the Christian life you begin to pick up good habits and begin to break bad habits because you're doing it together. And also, you have the privilege and the responsibility to help other people who may be newer to faith or newer to taking it seriously and to help them to grow. So we have the scriptures, we've been given the spirit, and we have each other. So this is important. Well, not only knowledge, just let's keep reading along. Make every effort to add to your faith goodness, to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control. These go together. They're not steps, but you see how they make sense? I know God. I want to be like God. In order to be like God, I gain knowledge of God. And when I gain knowledge, what do I do? I apply it. Self-control is the ability to know what is right and to go on that path. 
You know who's teaching me about self-control? My daughter, Alina. She's only nine. But ever since she was a kid, we didn't realize, I feel bad looking back, we didn't realize she was always just like, angry after she ate a bottle or whatever. We didn't realize that it was, there was dairy in it and she had an allergic reaction to dairy. And the, the moment we took her off dairy, it's like a whole new daughter emerged. And this is like when she was just a baby. And through the years, she's just got a really sensitive stomach. We've taken her and gotten tested and all that. And, and she just has these combinations that we can't even like get. But certain things upset her stomach. So she's nine, and her discipline is, is amazing. So there'll be a people in a party, everyone's over, and she'll see stuff she wants to eat, and she will say no. We don't have to tell her no. Or she'll have some dairy, like a little bit of ice cream, and everyone's doing another scoop, and she says no. Why? She already remembers the pain of her buckled over, hurting. And the memory of the pain has given her the encouragement to live a controlled life. And that's a very simple analogy. But let's just think about following Jesus. Most of us are okay on knowledge. We know enough to obey. But let me just ask you, have you mixed knowledge with self-control? There's a huge difference between saying, I know what's right, I do what I want, and I ask for forgiveness. Two, I know what is right, and I pursue what is right. And when I stumble, and I do, when I stumble, I say, God, I need grace again, but I don't want to live this way. I think too many of us have been born in America with a silver spoon in our mouth. What do I mean? I get a chance to talk to people who first come to this country and you know when someone's first generation American because maybe they came here for a country that didn't have a lot and usually the hardest working, most tenacious. Now I'm not saying everyone, but I'm saying as a good stereotype, first generation Americans who come from a poor area pursue knowledge, self-control because they want to make a better life for their family. And then there's that second generation who grew up without the struggle, right? And often they could be born with a silver spoon in their mouth. By the third generation, there's definitely a honking entire spoon, fork, knife, you know, everything in the mouth of expectation. Because it went from, I'm going to work hard because I have a chance to do something to, oh, mom and dad got that for me, to, hey, how come you haven't given me? With generations, it could happen. You know, the same thing happens with faith. Can I just remind you, those of you who had Christian parents and Christian grandparents, that is a heritage and could be a crutch for you. A crutch? No, it's a heritage because you were given the blessing of a foundation in the scriptures. But you may assume in your mind that you're just going to grow. Even though you live like the devil, you're going to follow Jesus. You just can assume in your mind that God doesn't care about how you live day to day. You can just assume that God's going to give you grace. I am here to tell you, God does have grace, but Peter says mature believers add to their faith. They add, they strenuously, they are zealous, they make every effort to live up to who God has called them to be. So I'm just going to talk to you for a second. Those of you who already had parents who are Christians or grandparents, do not 
lean too much on your heritage. Your parents and grandparents struggled and pursued to follow Jesus for themselves. Now you need to do the same thing. If you were given the privilege of a Christian education or a Christian training as a kid, don't make that a crutch to say, now I can slide by because I can answer the questions on the test. God is looking at your life and he wants to see maturity. He expects, it's a command, he expects growth. Are you happy yet? Great. You're going to get pork at the end. Don't worry. There's brisket coming. I told you last week, if you were here, uh, last week was the good news and today is the anvil. All right. Self-control. The next one on the list, he says, add to your self-control perseverance. Perseverance is simply the ability to remain faithful through difficulty. Part of the maturing process is God allows tough stuff in our life on purpose. God wants you to be fully mature. And so what he will do is he'll allow circumstances, medical issues, family relational issues, job issues. He will allow it. He's like, God, where have you gone? He's like, I'm right here. I'm maturing you. I want to see perseverance. I want to see if you will really follow me, not just when things are well, but when things are not going well. So perseverance says God's promises are true. I'm going to hold on to God even when it seems like his promise might fail. Have you displayed perseverance? Are you in a struggle right now? God may be producing character in you. It's not exciting. It's not fun. It's painful. But any of you who've done anything physical, any physical challenge, any physical test, know, you know, I I did a marathon in May and that was an exciting experience. But that was like tip of the iceberg to months of boring pain. Boring, like running again, 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 and pain and waking up in ache. And like, why am I doing this? I'm a fool. Like, you know, but the prize is worth it. So perseverance is faith, even when it seems like God is gone. Also add to our perseverance, godliness. God wants to produce godliness. Now, what's, what's the source of godliness? Again, go back to verse 3. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. It's the same word here. So, so God has everything, given us everything we need to live godly. And then that's the indicative. That's true of you. God has made it possible. But now the command is be godly. So at the same time, I could say godliness is a gift and godliness is a choice. Do you see the difference? It is a gift. It's a privilege. God will produce it in you. And at the same time, Peter is saying, we choose to be godly. So he's given us what we need, but I need to choose. So where does God's gift end and my labor begin? Good luck. I'm trying to figure out exactly where that ends. But both are absolutely true. Now it goes more to the relational side. So it's add to godliness. And to godliness, look at verse 7, mutual affection. It's two words in English, but one word in Greek, Philadelphia, like cream cheese, right? Philadelphia, brotherly, Philadelphia is a city of brotherly love. Now, here's an interesting thing here. In the first century, in the time of Peter, when people used the word brotherly love, Philadelphia, they only used it when 
talking about blood relatives. So I have Philadelphia for my mom and dad. I have Philadelphia for my brother and sister, for my cousins. You would never use the word Philadelphia for like a friend or a coworker. But in Jesus, Peter and the other biblical writers co-opt the word. They grab the word from their culture and they put it into the church. So grow in Philadelphia, grow in mutual affection, grow in brotherly and sisterly love, even though in the church, most people are not blood relatives. What does that say? It says that godliness can be seen in the way that you and I treat one another. Perseverance is in the way you and I treat one another. So yes, growth is about me and God. But if I'm going to grow to be more like Jesus Christ, it will evidence itself in the way that I live with you. So mutual affection, Philadelphia, is one of the markers. If I want to know if we're growing as a church, I do not need to look at the stats on how many people podcast the teaching or how many people show up on Sunday. All we have to do is look and see how we live, how we live with one another. Do we cry when we hear about struggles in each other's lives? Do, do we show up in the middle of the night when we find out that something's gone wrong? Are we there for the wedding and the birth of the child? Is someone just showing up at the hospital when a child is born? No one's asking them. There's no committee. There's no structure. People just show up. At the end of the gathering, do we take the time to have a meal? The summer barbecue, what we're doing this week, and I encourage you to stay today, is to to build muscle, spiritual muscle. This is actually a spiritual thing. Eating a meal together, meeting someone who's new, going deeper than just hello, my name is, is part of our spiritual growth. We need one another. We need to love one another. I cannot express brotherly love to people who I don't know. So how do we do this? For us in America, this is a huge challenge because on a practical note, to live like family requires time, doesn't it? Time. So part of my discipline and my add to your faith is to look at the, the, the time I've been given. Everyone has the same amount of time, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Everyone uses the excuse, I'm so busy. Actually, that's an undisciplined statement. You have no more time or less time than anyone else. Everyone has been given by God all the time that we need. The question is, as a follower of Jesus, am I choosing to discipline my time to live a Jesus-like life? Let me ask you a question. Did Jesus take time for people? Just look at, this, look at the Gospels. The disciples want Jesus to move on. He's like, shut up, bring the kids to me, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. A ruler wants his, to have Jesus come over and lay hands on his daughter who's going to die And Jesus takes time for a woman who touches the edge of his cloak to bless her and call her forgiven and healed. Jesus is the master of time management. So part of the spiritual discipline, which is why we do church on the weekend and during the week, why we gather and we scatter, why we love one another here and we love one another in homes, not to be programmatic, but in order for you and I to grow in Philadelphia, look, I love you. I really do. And I pray for you. I really do. But I don't even know your name. I don't know most of you. I'm not like proud of that. I just, I'm not great at names. Sorry. 
And I don't know all of you, but it's not my job or the elder's job to know everyone by name and everyone's story. It's actually all of our opportunity. You have the opportunity as a follower of Jesus to know 5, 10, 15, 20 people, whatever it is, whatever it is that fits within your, your life right now, you can express growth in Jesus by investing in other people. Have you chosen to grow in brotherly, sisterly love? And that's his last on the list. Look at the end of verse 7. Add to mutual affection, love, love for God, love for people. Okay, so, so this, is, this is the one command, add. Make every effort to add. And then he lists these things. And maybe this morning already one of those has poked out as like, okay, the others I'm doing all right, but this one needs some work. Let me just encourage you, write that down. If you're connected, you have some friends here, you're, you have a mom or a dad here, you have a spouse here. Today, don't even wait till the end of the day. Today, let them know what issue within the list of eight here is the most challenging for you. Why? So that they can encourage you. The best thing you're going to do, if you're going to run a marathon, you cannot run it alone. You need some people to keep you going. So I had my friends all along my training process checking in on me and encouraging me and slapping me and moving me along. So find that network within this community and say, hey, I'm struggling with growing in whatever. Will you just chime in from time to time and remind me what the Spirit has told me this morning? Now, what's the point of this? Look at verse 8. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. What is at stake is your effectiveness, your productivity. You see, God has great plans for you. God wants to use you. Every single one of us has been given everything we need by God to do what God's called us to do. But it is possible to be unproductive and ineffective. And so God wants followers of Jesus who are actually growing in discipline, but not just discipline, because some people by nature are just orderly and disciplined. Others are a little more like Southern Californian, like just more chill, you know, like, what are you doing today? Yeah. Like, you know, just, yeah. And you may have a personality that's been, and that's, I'm not saying everyone be type, everyone needs to be type A. I am type A. I don't want a room of type A's. Like, we'll all kill each other. We need a little bit of chill in the mix, but at the same time, you can be chill by personality, but don't be sloppy spiritually. Don't be sloppy in your pursuit and chalk it up to, well, I just go with, you know, what I feel. Where you feel will take you to hell, my friend. (laughs) Grow up in Jesus' name. So growth is a command. Now let's just talk about this for a second. And I've been nice so far, but let's let's just get into it. Growth is not, your growth is not my responsibility. Your growth as a follower of Jesus is not the leaders of this church responsibility. God has given you everything you need for life and godliness. So it's easy to flip the pressure to somebody else. It's called the American way. The American way is, I'm not disciplined, but I'm going to blame you and shift it. And because we like to sue, we put the onus on someone else. And can I just say, it is your, you've been given the grace, that's gift. It's now your responsibility as a follower of Jesus to choose the path of growth. Now, the church is here to help. 
So we want to provide, and starting this fall, we're going to take it to another level to provide means for those of you who want to grow and would be it would be helpful to you have tools in your tool belt, so to speak. We want to provide more classes and more opportunities. We'll talk about that in early September, but it's not our responsibility. So you're like, ah, why'd you leave that church? I wasn't getting fed at that church. Shame on you. You weren't getting fed. How many of you eat once a week? You eat once a week. Like, that's your like lifestyle. I eat on Sunday. Do you realize how idiotic that sounds? So you're going to say, I'm not a part of that community because they didn't give me everything I need as if it was that leadership's responsibility to give you everything you need. Can you grow up? Read the Bible. Pray. Seek God and do it together. Now, I'm not mad at you, but I refuse to buy the lie that you can't grow by pursuing growth and that you need everyone else to grow for you. You can. It's God's command And so what we want to encourage you, and again, don't blame me, blame Peter. And if you think I'm mean, read everything that Peter has to say. Peter was the first person to rebuke people, okay? I'm just following in the footsteps of great leadership. (laughs) So effectiveness is the issue. Now, let me give you the second command, and it's much shorter because it just builds on the first command. Second command, verse uh, 10. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort. Effort is the key word. Make every effort effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you'll never stumble and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So the second command is put effort. So add with effort, add with effort. He's saying strain towards this. It's not always going to be easy to grow. There are ups and downs in every physical activity. If you try to train for anything, there are seasons of rapid growth. There are seasons where you shrink back. There are seasons where you get hurt and you need to recover. It's the same thing in growth in Jesus. It's not all uphill, but you climb a bit and you struggle. And the enemy comes and beats you down. And then you hear truth again and you grow. And then you struggle and you grow and you struggle. But looking back at the last five years of life, are you tracking an upward forward progression or have you flatlined? Have you flatlined? I'm here not to put you down. I'm here to expose what is and say to you, based on the indicatives, God's given you all you need to grow. Now you need to grow. So let me talk to the guys for a second. If you expect your spouse to raise godly kids while you live like you want, shame on you. Shame on you. If you're a guy here and you're, you've been given leadership in your household and that's what you have been given, that's grace, it's the gift of God, then I'm not saying you need to do everything and work is important. I, I get that. I, I like to work hard too. And recreation is important. We need to live balanced lives and God's given us life as a gift and joy and all that important. But if you relegate spirituality to your spouse and expect her, you know what you're training your kids to do? Is to let someone else do the heavy lifting and I'll just sit in church and look good and no one knows what's going on in the inside of my life and doesn't make a difference. I'm going to do what I want to do. And if you read 1 Peter 2, you will, uh, 2 Peter 2, you'll find out that Peter says people with that mindset, teachers with that mindset are going to hell. That's what he said. Read it. That's what he says. He says that kind of mindset is toxic and is against the heart of the gospel. 
What I want to do is be a part of a community that is experiencing God's grace, indicative, God's gift, God's love, God's mercy. But we also work hard. We take spiritual life seriously and we make growth intentional. I want to be a part of a community that says all of us can be more like Jesus. And if you're here for 30 years, you could still be more like Jesus. Even Jim Williams, who's like one inch from being like Jesus, he can still grow. And Gail. Well, actually, Gail's a little higher. That's another story. (laughs) Anyone who knows him knows it's true. But everyone, everyone, brand new to Jesus. So if you're here and you're brand new or you're checking it out, this is good news for you. Do not let anyone lie to you and tell you, follow Jesus and live like you want. It doesn't happen. Rather, Peter says, based on the goodness of God, add effort. And I pray that we'll be that kind of people. So it's, so it's both ends. Now, here's the rationale. He ends with a promise, and don't miss out on the promise. Two promises. The first promise is you'll never stumble. You will never stumble. If you pursue these things in measure... Peter never implies it happens in a day and he never implies it happens in a moment. He implies it happens over time. And if you read the Gospels, Peter at the beginning of the Gospels is very unlike Jesus. And then when you read Acts, he is more like Jesus. Three years of growth affected the way Peter lived. And so the same thing could be said for you. He says, you'll never stumble. Does it mean you'll never sin? No. You and I will fail and will Sin, but will never stumble. Stumble, that means stop progressing. You will never stop progressing if you add to your faith, if you make it part of the discipline. And the second thing is, you'll, you'll receive a rich welcome. You know, this is the only time in the New Testament where, where any writer says, receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. Usually, when it talks about the eternal kingdom, it relates that to the Father, The Father, God, overrules the eternal kingdom. But Peter wants to drive home a point. If you choose to live like Jesus, Jesus rules the kingdom and you will live like him. So what am I saying? There's a tension here. God changes me, indicative, and I follow him, imperative, command. I choose to do it. God calls me to be saved and then I live like I'm saved. God calls me to be holy, but I choose holiness. He calls me to follow and gives me the ability, but I actually choose to follow. Both are true completely. And so some of you need to be reminded because you're workaholics and you're perfectionists, and it's destroying the joy of your faith because you sinned once this week. You feel like an utter failure. You need verses one to four. If you, if you struggle with like hyper-perfectionism, you need to memorize verses one through four. You have been, you have been, you have been. God's changed you. Don't kick yourself. Keep walking. There's grace for you. I think the majority of us need five through 11. <laughs> I think the majority of us, we need to, yeah, read one through four. We need five through 11. It says, man up, woman up, grow up. And we need to be a people that progresses. Why? We'll be effective and productive. And at the end, we'll never stumble. It's God's promise. And we will receive a rich reward in the eternal kingdom of Jesus. What you do now matters. And what you do affects the trajectory in the age 
to come. Jesus was clear about this. He told parables, the hard working disciplined people here have reward in the age to come. We don't just live a godly life for this life. We live a godly life because he's made us this way. I want to live like I will be in the future when God makes everything new. Two questions we need to ask ourselves, and we're going to worship God in response and invite him to do a great work. First question, How committed are you to growth in following Jesus right now? Let's just put it on the line. How committed are you to actual growth? It begins with desire. If there's no desire to grow, I will not grow. The desire to be disciplined, I will not be disciplined. That's why the command is make every effort. And the second question goes with that. What steps of obedience is Jesus calling you to take? Maybe this morning, one idea. I'm just looking for everyone to have one idea. So I'm going to give you a moment. Maybe it's this list. Maybe it's something else that's in the scriptures that's not listed in 2 Peter. All scriptures God breathed and profitable. Every bit that's in here is good for you. What one thing is God leaning on you? Hey, Jose, I love you. And now growth means you need to deal with this. I want to give you a second. Scribble that down. Write it down. Do something. Type it in your phone. We're going to do something with it in a second. It's not just an exercise in futility. What is, it, what is your one area that you need to grow? Just remember, this is not your, it's not my responsibility. It's not your parents' responsibility. It's your responsibility to grow in Jesus, and you can. 